welcome to the AFR Ratings Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Welcome to Aaron Bryan's co-host. Thanks for having me. We are talking a round one wrap, and Aaron commentated the Port Adelaide and Brisbane game on Saturday. So your initial thoughts on the result of the game? Yeah, what a mental contest. Didn't go the way I expected at all. I thought if Port were going to win it, it'd be pretty close in the end, but um, to have them Get over the line by 54 points is a remarkable result. I mean, Brisbane leading into the season beat Sydney and Geelong and felt like they were a premiership contender. And Port Adelaide thought they'd at least make the eight and maybe the top four. And, and Ken Hinkley said this is the best side he's ever coached. They go to the West and they lose to the Eagles and Fremantle. And it looks like the same game plan of the past couple of years. And you just have your doubts about whether or not they could actually contend. And to be honest, in the first half, it actually looked like even though they were on top in the first quarter, they had stuck to that game plan and it wasn't going to work for them once Brisbane dropped six goals on them in the second. And and then something was said at halftime by Ken Hinckley and they decided to lower the eyes a bit inside 50. They were first to the ball at the contest. They picked up the pace a little bit. And all of a sudden, this Port Adelaide team looks like a side that can comfortably at least compete with and maybe even beat some of these top-tier teams. So it's only round one and you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. But um, they've certainly got a great young core, Port Adelaide. Their recruits, Junior Rioli and Jason Horn Francis, absolutely fired. And, and Brisbane, it leaves you with some question marks about, you know, how far can they go? Because every year they make it to either a semi or a prelim. And, you know, they want to get to that last day in September. And the, the forward line didn't gel on the weekend. Uh, and their midfield looked okay, but it, it wasn't as dominant as the star-studded midfield should be. So let's drill down on, on that uh, third quarter from Port Adelaide. So Jason Horn francis was in there quite a bit, and that dynamic through that midfield looked quite quite decent. Um, and obviously Travis spoke is to come back into that midfield at some stage. But yeah, just it was a bit of a different dynamic there. Yeah, it's interesting. He, he had a pretty consistent run, Horn francis in terms of CBAs. He went 5-5-7-3. Five, five, but, but that third term where he had seven was exactly where Port Adelaide took over. And we said it in the call that... Surprisingly, it feels like Butters, Horn Francis and Rosie feels like the the winning combination for Port Adelaide, which doesn't have wines in it. Um, obviously, he's going to get a lot of time because he's, you know, he's a Brownlee medalist and he will have games where he'll absolutely explode. But, but that those three together with Lysett really turned the game around. It was that quickness off the fall of the ball, the ground ball gets, and then the immediate explosion into the 50 that, that really turned the tide. And, and Brisbane almost were a bit shell-shocked by it that, you know, I really love what I saw from Horn Francis. Uh, I was always kind of expecting something great. I mean, everyone who'd seen him at junior level in the Sandville knew he had the potential to, to be a star. But that first year at North Melbourne, we, we saw glimpses, but weren't really sure what the ceiling was. And then he rolls up round one, and he's built like an absolute elite player already. Uh, and in his second year delivers a performance like that, you know he, he's going to be something special. He, he absolutely had the ball on a string and was just so confident with where he put it. So, yeah, the, the third quarter was was pretty dramatic. It, it was surprising how quickly the game turned on its head. And to be honest, uh, the, the 54-point margin doesn't look great for Brisbane, but I think they kind of took their foot off the gas in the fourth once they realised they were done. Yeah, disappointing from Brisbane, but it was just an absolute wave from Port Adelaide. So let's get on to the next one here. So Junior Rioli, he just added uh, a different um, level of class into that forward line. Uh, and obviously his delivery inside forward 50 and ability to hit the scoreboard there as well. 
Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I, I was just chatting to Clint Wilden uh, from Perth today about how, you know, Junior Rioli always felt like he had a bit of X factor to him, but at, at West he, he'd have this spark, but he'd never take over a game. He, he probably at times maybe seemed a little bit unfit and, and didn't really have that pressure when it came to getting the footy like outside of the attacking 50 or, or even pushing up the ground a little bit. He, he probably had his, his best year around 2018, but otherwise, you know, he missed a lot of time and there were question marks about, you know, could he get back to his best? And he was amazing on Saturday. I mean, selling the candy and running in from 40 was a beautiful highlight. But even, again, just getting up on the wings and applying some tackles and fighting for the footy, um, he looks hungry, which is really exciting. Like, that that's his... I guess what Port Adelaide were hoping for was a small forward who could kick goals, but they've got even more than that. So, yeah, he's been a great recruit so far. I mean, we're one game in and we'll see how it goes, but um, they certainly got more than they bargained for Port Adelaide out of junior Rioli. Yeah, and just now on to pre-season games, because the, the views we got uh, of Adelaide were actually really good, and, and they fall over against GWS. They were quite comfortably, with that game in hand, in their second quarter against the Giants in Sydney today, and they just ran out of gas. And then Port Adelaide, who actually looked poor, we mentioned it on our original podcast, uh, actually looked quite good in uh, round one. So it's just, the, you know, the pre-season games and, and reducing it down to one official one doesn't really give us a clean look at what's happening. So just your thoughts there. Yeah, I think a lot of that's down to intensity and, and how much the players are committing to it. Because to be honest, I think, as I said before, Port Adelaide kept a similar game plan from the pre-seasons in the opening half and it wasn't really working for them. Adelaide, again, similar to what we saw in Perth, they played a, a handball-style game. They, they were kicking really efficiently on the counter, um, very fast pace out of the middle and, and high pressure with their tackling. But, um, yeah, it just didn't translate to a result. And, and the Adelaide game, was there's a lot of factors around that, I think, that largely the conditions um, played a, a bit of a role in that, that Adelaide kind of rolled over once it got a little bit too hard. But, um, yeah, the pre-season games, I think as we've touched on a couple of times, it's all about role and, and where the players are and, and the type of ball movement that we're seeing. And a lot of the teams played the way that we did see them in the last couple of weeks. It's just that once that intensity lifted and, you know, you're playing really fast-paced brand of footy because every team wants to take the game on this year except for Fremantle by the looks of things, that, um, yeah, it really ramped everything up and we started to, to see the top two teams and, and that differential between, you know, who's going to make the eight and maybe who's going to be battling this year. So the heat were, was the issue there in Sydney today, Adelaide and GWS. And Toby Green post-game saying it was the hardest game that he has ever played in, which obviously quite a few players cramped in that game there as well. Alrighty, let's move on to some Port Adelaide versus Brisbane fantasy chat. So Jason Horn francis a uh, huge third quarter. Uh, he was a little bit moderate to start with, but finishes with 90 points there. Solid outing first up. Yeah, it's a funny old one. Like, I, I managed to squeeze him in as a pot at F4, and I'm very happy, obviously, with the result of, of getting 90 points. But um, he, he feels like a superstar, and there's obviously going to be games or even quarters, as you touched on, where he may not be as dominant uh, as he was in that third term, but you can clearly see the potential. And I think, you know, he's obviously made money early. I think his break-even was mid-60s. So to pull a 90 immediately off the bat is a huge win. He's certainly going to be around for the, the first month. Um, and I don't know, personally, I just loved what I saw so much that I wouldn't really want to get rid of him because he just feels like a, a new favourite player. But, um, yeah, he's an all-round scorer. You know, he had a goal, 25 touches, three tackles, plenty of score involvement. So... He's doing a lot. It's not just, you know, 
a one wood kind of player. So um, yeah, there'll be times, especially you know, boat comes back as you said. I don't think that's going to hurt his CBAs too much because clearly Wines, Rosie Butters, and Holly Francis are the big four, and even Willem Drew is going to rotate through there. So. Um, I don't think he's going to lose a lot of midfield time, especially after a performance like that. You know, you'd want to ride that wave. But, um, you know, he's not going to deliver 90 every week. There's probably going to be a couple where he gets 70 or 80. But I think for what he was priced at, he's certainly a win. Yeah, good start there. So next one, he kind of rosy. So 95 points, pure midfield role. He looked uh, quite good in his first game for the season. Your thoughts there? Yeah, he's going to average 100, I reckon. He was severely underpriced heading into this year. As, as their main midfielder, that was all the messaging coming out of the preseason was he was their guy. He wasn't going to rotate forward like we saw over the past couple of years. Um, he's the leading, or the reigning Cahill medalist, so he, he's probably going to win another best and fairest from what I saw. He's, it's funny, he looked like Scott Pendlebury out there on the weekend. Whenever he got the ball, everything slowed down. He was very composed with how he moved it level-headed um, and just mature for a player that is still so quite young. Um, he's got a lot of potential to improve his game. He only had 23 touches and, and pulls up a 95. There's going to be games where he hits 30 comfortably. Um, and again, it's just because of the talent that's there. You know, they're competing against Lucky Neal, Josh Dunkley in the middle as well. And a lot of the clearances were quite quick and put Adelaide a, a rebounding quite fast. So they're, they're trying to get territory. It's not this little dinky handball game around. So... Um, there'll be times where he'll he'll easily break 25 plus he had 23 on the weekend. So yeah, I was very impressed. Uh, we had Xavier Dersma on one wing, but the the one I want to talk about here is Miles Bergman, 89 points, and again, look, he's I think he's going to put up a quite a decent average this season. Yeah, it's funny he's, he was so awkwardly priced heading in. I think he was just low 600s, so he, it's hard to justify putting him in. But he's very impressive. Um, it was it was funny that he, he does have some comparisons to Jason or Francis and ended up on the front of the Daily Mail, which I, I think was pretty poor there. But um, yeah, he he played a great game. I mean, he's a, he's a first round draft pick, and for years we've been kind of waiting to see what he could do. And yeah, he looks to have exploded this year. That role is since Amon has departed, has certainly worked for him. So, you know, he's going to take that mantle and run with it. And, yeah, he's their connector. So he's certainly going to get a lot of the footy because he found it either right half back or right half forward. He was still running up that wing. So, um, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Uh, wanted to get 89 in the end. So, I mean, if you're looking for a, a pod there, you could get him. But he, uh, I'm not sure if he'd be a 100 player, but, you know, he's going to make some money in the early rounds of the season for sure. Uh, these two I'll just wrap up together and probably a reflection of the result from Brisbane. So Josh Dunkley, 77, Lockie Neal, 72. And just just in the end, not enough ball and just the wave of Port Adelaide just, you know, threw their fantasy game out the window on Saturday. Yeah, from what I saw, I mean, the, obviously their fantasy scores weren't great, but the role was there. They were in the middle for large portions of the game and they were just getting beaten up around the ball. But... Um, I'm not too stressed. I've just dunked at F1. Um, you know, it's a disappointing result, 77, but he's right in the guts. He's going to find plenty of the footy when they play some easier sides, when they're, when they're not getting beaten by 54 points. Um, and Lockie Neal was the same. Again, just relatively unsighted, but he was always there in the middle. You could see him kind of on the outside, but just wasn't really getting enough of the footy and, you know, his kick-to-handball ratio wasn't great either. So, And I think that was the same for Josh Dunkley. Three kicks, 16 handballs. So um, they're going to pick that up when they actually get a bit of space to play their game. But they just didn't get that on the weekend. So um, no marks for either of them. They'll they'll get to 100 comfortably once they sort themselves out. 
Yeah, Daffy, obviously, as you mentioned, the role is there along with Lockie Neal. He'll make up for it at some stage throughout the season with some monster scores there. So next one here, Zach Butters, 89 and in the midfield quite a bit. Yeah, it's funny. His CBAs weren't great, but it felt like he was always there. <laughs> and I was quite shocked, to be honest. I mean, he had the AC joint injury in the preseason, barely sided in their final game, and then rolls up like he, he was always there and ran raring to go. He, you know, 24 touches, he was certainly one of their star players that's, that shifted that tide in the third. I, I was very impressed by what I saw. I I mean, ultimately, if you look at those CBA numbers, you, you kind of feel like if Horn Francis is going to continue dominating the way he is, that it would be Rosie Wines and Jason rather than Zach. But, um, you know, again, very young player, future of the football club. I'm pretty yeah, happy with an 89 to start the campaign. And um, the next step is, yeah, just pushing the, that disposal number up a little bit. And, and historically, Butters has actually been an OK tackler. He only had one on the weekend and... Maybe that's because of the shoulder injury that he's taking it a bit more cautiously, but um, it, it's a good start. He's, he's obviously made money immediately off the bat and hopefully pushed towards the hundreds. Let's touch on some other games throughout round one. So Harry Sheasel uh, starts at halfback and he racks up 118 points in his first game. What a debut. Yeah, incredible. I, I didn't see it coming. I mean, firstly, the role. <laughs> we kind of thought he'd be a forward pocket kind of player. And then ends up getting stuck at halfback and he finds himself all around the ground, 34 touches, um, incredible debut. And yeah, a little bit of kind of Nick Dacos about it, that immediately a pick number three is kind of showing that he's going to be the next big thing in the game. And um, that'll fill Alistair Clarkson with confidence. Um, obviously, he's going to get a lot of game time. Um, there'll be a point where he'll hit the rookie wall, so to speak. But um, yeah, I mean, the role worked for him in the end and you can't complain with the 118 from, from a rookie that you probably have at F5, F6. So I feel for anyone that missed out, but um, he's a massive win. Yeah, next one here, Nick Dacos, 114 points. So it's just a bit of an example where most teams just won't tag. So that they'll stick to their style and system. And, you know, midway through that game there as well, Geelong three or four goals up, and, and they still weren't obviously uh, putting a hard tag on Nick Dacos. And obviously, Colin came back over the top of Geelong. But yeah, when it was working for Geelong, uh, their system and style, uh, more so than the tag, was preferred. And yeah, Nick Dacos gets off the leash, 114 points in his first game of the season. Yeah, I was very lucky. I put my hand up and so I had Dacos at D3 and then 10 minutes before bounce down panicked and traded him out for Hayden Young, who thankfully scored two points more. But um, throughout the weekend, I was panicking because I'd let go a 114 from Dacos, who, who looked outstanding. And um, the only reason I did that was because I thought Mark O'Connor was going to tag him. It just made sense. Why wouldn't you do it? And especially once they, was, they started to fall behind the way they did. Um, Chris Scott just wasn't reactive to it and maybe that's because of the injuries and they needed bigger bodies down back but um, I'm sure there's going to be a couple of games through the year we, we saw some tags on the weekend you know Rory Laird got run with Zach Merritt got run with as well it, it's going to happen a couple of times but the potential of him I mean to score 114 when his break even was around the high 80s he's um, a second year player He's incredible, and clearly he's going to be running through the middle at times, and he's going to rack up the footy, 35 touches. Um, yeah, if you can get him in, I'd, I'd certainly recommend it. Next one here, Tim Taranto. So obviously the role is there for Richmond since he's moved from the Giants uh, last year. That's going to be a strong average, I would say, um, and yeah, exactly the role that you want to see from a player that we can roster forward. 
Yeah, definitely. I kind of thought heading in, the only concern would be, would he play a fair bit of forward? He kicked a couple of goals in the preseason game and there was that worry that he wouldn't be a pure mid, but yeah, he, he was he was always in the middle whenever they got things going and um, incredibly impressive, yeah, Tim Taranto and, and breaks the drought really of, you know, Richmond low scores. We don't often see Tigers players get that high of a score above 100. It's, it's usually they just get over, if anything, but 123 to start just shows that, you know, we're in for a big year. It, a new player, new club, um, you know, historically players like that who move over tend to do quite well. Um, unfortunately, Todd Mitchell didn't match that. But, yeah, Tim Taranto, um, yeah, looked like a star. So next one here, we're going to Clayton Oliver. So Cosi Pickett into the midfield a little bit more, and that's centre bounces included, included there as well. Petrarca may sit a little bit forward there as well. Uh, Jack Vaughan needed to come back into that team, but I don't think all of that is going to impact Clayton Oliver too much. Uh, he rolls out 124 in round one. Yeah, I think the concern was, was he going to do that, that mini half-back roll, maybe one in every four centre bounces, which was a, a concern. We didn't see that. Um, his heat map was smack bang in the middle. 33 touches. The best part as well is when, when Clary's at his best, he's tackling and he had seven of those. So it was an all-round performance. There's going to be some across the year where, he, you know, he goes 30 and doesn't tackle or 25 and does. But he's just such a consistent player that um, it's frustrating if you didn't start with him because it, it just made sense. as the I think he was the third highest midfielder priced and, yeah, he's reliable. He, he rarely disappears um, and has can have quarters where he just goes ballistic. So, um Great start for him, and yeah, I'd recommend if you're worrying about what to do with Rory Laird, maybe Clayton Oliver's the go, depending on the prices changes that are coming up and, and whether it'll cost you. Next one here, so we're going to go to Errol Gordon. So uh, Sydney versus Gold Coast uh, on the Gold Coast, and that game was pretty much played on a slip and slide mat, so it was quite dewy uh, across the whole game. So the role was there for Gordon in the middle, uh, obviously outside sometimes, but. Uh, yeah, when it counted, and he scored 99 points in round one. Yeah, frustrating round in terms of the team lineups that were named and where players were playing. A lot of the coaches joked about it in their presses, but I saw Errol Gordon in the forward pocket and got Jason on Francis in immediately, and it, it didn't result that way. 14 <laughs> CBAs, you know, he was, he was clearly one of their big four in the middle. So, um, yeah, he's going to have a ripping year. Clearly, horses invested in, in what... They, he saw in the preseason, he's the future of that footy club. There, there were those worries, you know, whether was it going to change if Callum Mills was injected in there? And in the end, Mills actually ended up one of the lower CBAs, so so Gordon comfortably trumped him. So um, clearly, he's the guy that they're going to back in, and it resulted in a pretty good score, you know, just below 100. So um, yeah, he's a value pick up in the forward. So Callum Mills' uh, finger injury late in preseason, maybe that had some. Uh, to do with uh, his low centre bounces there as well. But, you know, just that on the, the announcement of teams, I take zero interest in looking where people are placed, as long as they're the ins and outs and the who's named, because we know, and like I gave a couple of examples on my Twitter account uh, throughout uh, round one, we know that, you know, just it's not necessarily the coaches that are placing uh, players' names on the team sheet. Uh, they just give, give a group of names across, and then whoever is publishing that just can move players around. Uh, and they're not fooling anyone these days because, you know, it's not 1980, as I, as I pretty much referenced. You know, we just need to know the role, and that role for Gordon was there. Uh, yeah, it just felt a little bit different from the, the Isaac Heaney one of a year ago, and it's pretty much going to be his progression into that midfield. So hopefully that maintains 
uh, strong usage across the season. We'll go on to the next one here. So Tom Green, uh, he was dynamic early. Uh, if we can remember back to last year, he had an awesome start to the season. So obviously Tim Taranto gone and Jacob Hopper gone. You know he's that ball in that midfield, and he pops up by 128 points in round one. Yeah, I jumped on him at M4, and, and a lot of it was purely structural just because of his price. Um, I was very worried about how we would go because Adam Kingsley wanted to play a high handball game, and Tom Green loves a handball. Um, he, could, he could get 30 touches and still end up on 80. Um, but he ended up getting more kicks, 19 to 18 in the end, six marks and four tackles. It's an all-round performance that resulted in what was a massive score, 128. So um, he looked great out there, very comfortable. He got a cramp right at the end. I know there was some panic that he made his way to the bench and was clutching his legs, but it was just hot. And, you know, he had them on his back, 37 touches. At some point, you're going to need a spell. So, um, yeah, it's so exciting what he can do. Clearly, he's taken that next step now because, yeah, he was a bit of a chain player. And this, well, in the opening round, was still plenty to play out. But what we saw today was... Clearly, a guy who's ready to, I guess, be the this person who sets up the Giants' attack. He, he finds the footy first and then gives it off um, and can get around the ground and actually take marks instead of um, just being basically at stoppages. He can actually do an all round performance. So, yeah, it's good to know that he's got a bit of a, a high ceiling now rather than an 80 to 100 player. Going to finish off with a few defenders here. So, James Sisley, 130 points. Now, if the Hawks are going to be poor this year, you've got to consider that they're going to concede a stack of inside 50s, which is plays right into the hands of James Sisley. So uh, I expect a strong average. Uh, I actually didn't start with him in uh, Classic, but you know, I, I'm expecting a pretty strong average in 130 for those that invested early. It's a great start. Yeah, I had him at D2 originally and then moved him out because his preseason score was based on double-digit marks. And I was like, how often is that going to happen? There's going to be times where they're under a bit of pressure. And, and then he goes, 30 disposal, 15 marks today. Like, it, it, it clearly, um, the preseason was a reflection of that role that he's going to play. And, um, he looked very confident out there. Again, it's it's against Essendon, who even though you know the Bombers beat him by 59, they're, they're still going to be one of the weaker teams this year. So there's going to be times where Sicily's matched up on a key forward or even just a, a set-of-half forward that is going to be a bit more of a difficult task and, and probably won't free him up to float as much as he did. But, yeah, 130 off the bat, um, yeah, he's going to have some big scores this year if they can slow things down in the defence and ship it around. Yeah, that's right. And if the Sicily role doesn't hurt opposition teams, opposition teams are just going to let him have the ball. So if that's that's their ball sitting inside the forward 50, just Hawthorne kicking it around, I think opposition teams, most of them would actually quite like that because all you need is one turnover. And you've got another scoring opportunity there as well. Alrighty, so the last couple of here, we're just going to hit off there. So the last game of the round, Luke Ryan, 156 points. He takes 13 marks. Brennan Cox, 144 points, 20 marks. So this is the game style from Fremantle. They'd like to slow the ball down and just send a stack of uncontested marks around that D50 line. And St Kilda obviously playing uh, plenty of fast footy, getting it inside uh, um, Fremantle's at D50, and that's placed right into the hands of Ryan, Hayden Young, Brennan Cox. So quite interesting, those numbers put up by the Freo defenders today. Yeah, mental start in terms of the scores that they provided. Um, is it going to be something that's consistent? We'll wait and see. Uh, you know, the media out in the West is is pretty brutal. It's a two-team town, very parochial, and to lose to St Kilda by 15 for a side that should be playing finals because they were so slow with their ball movement, 
Um, it's just not the way. Everyone was talking in preseason about how the stand rule over the past couple of years has really encouraged everyone to play Collingwood style football that you need to attack and um, it's almost like a basketball thing where you know just make the most of the opportunities that you've got in front of you and, and don't be afraid to take risks and Fremantle were very afraid so yeah, I mean they've got North next week so if you do want to try and get some quick cash in and Brennan Cox you know will obviously have a very low break even they'll probably do something similar next week because North are a, a gettable side that probably won't apply that pressure and and they can afford to get some plus sixes down back. But when they end up facing a good team, you know, they're going to be in trouble with this game plan. Justin Momia is going to have to um, find something quickly to, to check this up because I don't think this is modern football right now. It's, it's a bit too old school for me. Well, that's our round one wrap for this week. So, Aaron Bryans, can you let the listeners know where to find you? You can find me at Aaron Bryans, um, also on ABC Radio. Uh, the ABC Listen app broadcasts every AFL game this year. I'll call all the games in South Australia and a couple across the other states as well. And we have SA Grandstand every Saturday at 11 as well, which we'll check in with the Port Adelaide Football Club and the Adelaide Crows as well, if you're looking for some insights there. And if you have any questions in the lead-up to the round, um, especially when it comes to team news, we, we tend to get head coaches, assistant coaches on the show a lot. And we love to ask them, you know, final team news. If there's a player with a niggle, what's the go? So we'll certainly have some breaking news for you across the weekend every Saturday. You can catch me on AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Obviously, post a stack of news on aflratings.com.au there as well. Well, Aaron, we'll catch up with you next week. And thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, mate.